Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. 2 Kings chapter 17. Let's pick up in verse 7. Verse 7. It says, This disaster, talking about the fall of Israel, okay? The destruction of Israel. This disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they worshiped other gods. They lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had dis, uh, dispossessed before the Israelites and according to what the kings of Israel did. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. They built high places in all their towns and from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. They burned incense there on all the high places, just like the nations that the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did evil things, angering the Lord. Now let's just stop there for a minute. In this pattern of sin, I think we see a couple of other patterns uh, this morning as well. The first one is this, number one, pattern of misdirecting worship. That's what we see that led to this pattern of sin and their ultimate downfall was just this pattern of misdirecting worship. It says in verse seven that they worshiped other gods, that they built high places for idol worship in verse nine. See, they were creating these places to, to go up onto these mountains and different areas where they actually built altars and they built idols where they could worship those things. Verse 10 says that they set up for themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles. Asherah was the Canaanite uh, fertility god. And, and, sh- and they believed that that would bring fertility to their crops and to their livestock and even to themselves. And so they built these poles uh, that they would worship and, and cry out to. And they did that, it says, on every high hill and under every green tree. Now remember, God had told them to worship him primarily in the temple, right? There were specific areas where they were supposed to do that, and we see here that they're just all over the place. I think that's the picture. Every high hill, every green tree, the writer wants us to see that idol worship is just kind of happening everywhere, right? That's the point. Verse 11 says that they burned incense on all the high places, just like the other nations that the Lord had driven out. I think that's important that the Lord had brought victory over these nations and instead of following after him, they decided to follow after the nations that had been driven out and they're following in those put the, the footsteps of the pagan nations. And so we see just this pattern of, of misdirected worship. And you, you might be thinking, that's bad and good thing I don't do those things, right? But look at, look at verse eight. They lived according to the customs of the nations. And so you're, you're probably right. Like I doubt you have an Asherah pole in your backyard, right? You probably aren't out there burning incense to some little pagan uh, statues and those kind of things. But verse eight says they lived according to the customs of the nations. And I think that's where we find the problem for ourselves that, that they were just following whatever the thing of the day was. 
Whatever, whatever the popular thing of the day was, that's what they were following. See, they thought that Baal brought rain, right, which would grow their crops and, and make food for their family to eat. They thought Asherah, the goddess of the Canaanites, that she, that she brought fertility, and just on and on and on. Like, there's several different things. They just had all these little gods set up all over the place, thinking this thing will make me more comfortable, this thing will make me more prosperous, this thing will bring fertility, and it will put food on the table for my family, and so they just add it all to the mix. Right? There's a lot of religions out there today that do this as well, that they just say, well, this is our God of whatever, and this is our God of this and that, and, 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 and essentially that's what's happening here, that they're looking to all these other gods for provision, for joy, for satisfaction, and, and ultimately salvation, and we do that as well. And so I don't think it's just this blatant thing where, where the, the people of God here are just turning from God and going, okay, now I'm a prophet of Baal, like I'm completely just rejecting the things of God. I think that's what we read into whenever we hear that there's idol worship going on. But, but maybe it's, it's just that they try and hold God over here in this hand, but over here, they, whatever the thing of the day is that will bring comfort or joy or prosperity or, or whatever, they just add it all into the mix, right? We see that today and what we call that is cultural Christianity. And cultural Christianity is just, there's a little bit of God, because grandma said to, and then whatever else the world wants to throw at me. And I just kind of hold both of them in my hands, right? Cultural Christianity is, uh, is a problem, especially in the Bible Belt. I guarantee it, the people that you know around you, many of them are just following that kind of relationship with the Lord. It's just cultural. It's not, it's not real. It's not deep. In fact, I would even say there's probably people in this room that that is the extent of your Christianity. It's just cultural. I grew up this way. I was baptized as a kid. Grandma always made us go to church. I've just always been a Christian, whatever. But listen, like that is not true saving salvation only found in Christ. If you haven't submitted your life to him, trusting him for everything, man, it's just cultural. It's not, it's not real, it's not relational. Where we find idolatry in our lives today, there was a research uh, article that came out this week through Lifeway. They did this poll to find out like, what are the modern day idols that you and I find ourselves bowing before? The top three were comfort, control, and money. Comfort, control, and money. Those are the three things that you and I probably struggle with the most as far as, far as idols go. They were the next three. They were followed by approval, success, and social influence, which that's interesting because that's new on the list. Social influence, right? And so there's things, man, that we struggle with. And so what I want us to see here as we open up this text is that idolatry doesn't just mean worshiping little bitty fake statues. That's usually our first thought, right? Idolatry does not just mean worshiping these little statues, it's something that takes up residence in our heart when we look to anything other than God to do what only he can do. That's what idolatry is. John Calvin actually said that our hearts are just idol factories. 
Just get that picture in your mind of this, this conveyor belt that our heart is just pumping out, little bitty fake gods, idols that we are constantly worship. And I think if we could understand this, I think it would be game changing for us that all sin is a problem of misdirected worship. All sin is a problem of misdirected worship. See, we were created for worship. Like our hearts were built to worship something. They're, they're built to worship the creator, God. But what we end up doing is sin gets in the way and we end up taking our eyes off of him and putting it on whatever else, whatever that thing of the day is, and we set our eyes on all kinds of things to provide for us, to bring joy, to bring satisfaction, or to save us. And the point here as we open up is God is telling us through the writer of Kings that misdirected worship is not okay. It's not okay. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, God warns against it. He warns against it. But we see here, number two, that they just fall into this pattern of rejecting the warnings. A pattern of rejecting the warnings. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this, they served idols, although the Lord had told them you must not do this. Still, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law I commanded, I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant he had made with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Following the surrounding nations, the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. And so what we see here is just this pattern of just rejecting the warnings that God had lovingly given them. God had warned them, verse 12 says, you must not do this. He used prophets, he used people throughout the years like Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah, like all these people to warn them. And he pleaded with them like, turn, repent. That's the picture, turn away from those things. Repent from your sin, keep my commands. But they just didn't listen, verse 14 says. They just didn't listen. Instead, they became obstinate. That word obstinate means to just stubbornly refuse, right? The Bible also uses a word throughout uh, scripture, they, it's called stiff-necked to describe that, that they're just stiff-necked. My dog Miles does this, right? He's, he's just now one year old and uh, he, just, he just is stubborn. He just refuses to do things that we tell him to do. And so like if we're out walking him or something and, and a car is coming or we tell him not to do something, Boy, he just like, he just kind of locks up and just focuses his eyes on whatever that thing might be. And so we, we try and correct that, right? Like he'll just, he'll just lock his eyes on it and he'll kind of give you a side eye a little bit. Like, you know, I'm focused on this thing. We've been watching a lot of The Dog Whisper, uh, Caesar Milan, you know? And he says, you have to correct their, their nose and their eyes. And so whenever Miles does this, I'll try and like grab his little head and like make him look at me, you know? <laughs> And he just won't, like he just locks up and just like kind of looks at me out of the corner of his eye and it's like, that's stiff-necked, right? That's the picture there, just refusing 
warning or, or correction. And as a result, what you see in verse 15 is it says that they rejected his statutes. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. That they followed these worthless things and as a result, they became worthless. And I think you and I need to understand, we need to hear this morning that bowing to worthless things leads to a worthless life. Bowing to worthless things leads to a worthless life. Because the truth is, we become like what we worship. We do. So they had, they had this living God, but they replaced him with dead, worthless idols. But like, don't miss it, because in this passage, God lovingly tries to warn them over and over again. Like you read the Old Testament, that is the story. God continually warning his people, begging them, like turn away, come back to me. And they just continually don't. But God's correction over and over again is always grace and love. Like it's not harsh. It's always grace and love of just warning them to come back. And that's the story that we see throughout the Old Testament, just rebellious, stiff-necked people that God loves and pursues, but they just won't listen to him. I think the thesis verse for the Old Testament is Hosea eleven seven 7 that just says, my people are bent on turning away from me. We're just, we're just bent on turning away from him, and time after time, they just turn away from the Lord. If you want some extra reading this week, read Psalm 78. It's, a, it's the history of, of Israel, and over and over again, it just talks about how they just refused to turn to the Lord. And the thing about it is, is that they're not ignorant to the warnings. They're not, like they know what God has told them to do. So the 10 commandments are a pretty big deal, right? Anybody know the first one? Anybody? I think you do, you're just afraid to say it, right? Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse two, I want you to see this. The first commandment starts this way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. And if you compare that to the way our passage starts this morning in verse seven, look at that. The Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh king of Egypt and because they worshiped other gods. Like those two are almost identical, right? The first commandment, how it starts talking about Egypt and how he rescued them, don't have other gods. Now, in 2 Kings 17, we see that like they did the exact opposite thing that they're told to do. So, so the problem is not understanding. The problem is just, we don't do it. Like we know what, what God's told us to do. We know what he's warned us against. We know the ways that he's taught us to live and all those things. Too many times we just do the opposite, right? And maybe that's because we fall into this pattern of rejecting his warnings because number three, we have a pattern of forgetting his goodness. We have a pattern of just forgetting his goodness. Again, verse seven. This disaster happened because 
the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then verse 15, they rejected his statutes and his covenant he had made with their ancestors, right? So in those two verses and and throughout, like it's mentioned, these two different big things that if you're a reader at this time, like those, those things mean something. That he mentions how God miraculously rescued them out of Egypt. Like you know that story, right? In, in the book of Exodus, how the people had been in 400 years of slavery. The people of God, they've been in 400 years of slavery, but God rescues them through plagues and all these different miraculous things. He parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through it on dry land. And he's leading them out of slavery and into the promised land. It's a massive event. Over and over again, the Bible references this event because it's a picture of what he's done for each and every one of us, right? That he rescues us out of slavery, then he leads them through the wilderness, and he's a, he's a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke by day. Like, he's just leading his people out and he's taking them to the promised land. And so whenever he's referencing Egypt and how God rescued them, that's what he's talking about. It's a big deal. But then he also references the covenants made with the ancestors. Like our God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And over and over through the Old Testament, there's these massive moments where God makes promises with his people. He says, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And so there's promises of, uh, he makes a promise with, uh, with Abraham that he's gonna establish a people who will outnumber the stars in the sky, like just a vast people for himself. He makes a promise with King David that through David, there's always gonna be a king on the throne, right? Ultimately, that's gonna be fulfilled through Jesus, but we see over and over again through these covenants, these promises that God makes with the ancestors of Israel that if you will walk in my ways, I'm going to protect you, I'm gonna multiply you, I'm gonna establish you, I'm gonna set up an eternal kingdom through you. Like these are, these are big promises, right? And in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter four, Moses warns the people. He says, says this, says the Lord selected you and brought you out of Egypt's iron furnace to be a people for his inheritance as you are today. He's talking to the people who literally have walked through the Red Sea, literally been in slavery and now they're not. He says the Lord drew you out of there from the iron furnace to be a people of his inheritance. Verse 23, be careful not to forget. Like, don't forget what the Lord did for you. In fact, most of the book of Deuteronomy is that. Moses just warning the people, don't forget. Don't forget what God has done for you. Psalm 78 verse 42 kind of taps into the story and it tells us that ultimately they did forget. Ultimately they forget, it says, Psalm 78, 42, they did not remember what God had done. And over and over again, throughout their history, they just forget what the Lord had done. In fact, as soon as their feet hit the other side of of escaping from Egypt, almost immediately, they start asking to go back to Egypt because at least there they could eat meat. And you read that, you're like, are you kidding me? Like he just rescued you from 400 years of slavery and you wanna go back so you can have a burger? It's insanity, right? But just over and over and over again, as you read the Old Testament, you'll see 
that these people continually forget. And so I need us to understand this morning that we fall into sin because we forget the faithfulness of God. That's why. And so before we can answer the question of how do I stop sinning, like how do I stop this thing that just keeps kicking my tail, before we can answer that question, we have to first understand why do I sin at all? And it's because we forget God. We just forget. We fail to remember who he is, what he's done for us, and who he has called us to be. We are a forgetful people. We are. And that's why we need constant reminders of what he's done. We need to constantly remind ourselves of his faithfulness and who he is and what he's called us to be. And I know it sounds so elementary, but, but this is why you need daily time in his word, right? For him to remind you himself of his goodness and of his faithfulness and of his love for you and of his grace and all the things that he's done for you. That's why you need daily time in the word, just you and the Lord, right? And it's also why we need the church. We need the church. We need to come together with brothers and sisters for God's word to be read and preached and taught and prayed and sung and applied to our lives. That's why we also need a small group of people around us that we're living life with, just daily sharpening each other, people who will challenge you and care for you and help you to remember the goodness of God and the life that he's called you to. Like, you need that. I need that. We need one another. And so the challenge is to stay, stay in. Like, stay in and remember the story that you're a part of. Remember the things that God's done for you. And to remember that, we need each other. We need the church, right? Unfortunately, though, for Israel, they forgot. They forgot. And in this story, the northern kingdom is no more. The ten tribes in the north, this is the last time that we see them. And Samaria, the capital, is, is overrun. And in the end, like God, God had enough and he turned them over to their enemies. And the nation is defeated and the people are scattered all over and they're removed from his presence. Verse 18, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and he removed them from his presence. And so I want you to see like their responsibility in all of this. Over and over again, as you read this passage, you see the word they. They did this. They did this. They did this. 16 times in this passage, we see at the end of the day, they did, them, did this to themselves, right? They bear the weight of what they have done. And so do we. On our own, we are sinners incapable of breaking the pattern of sin. We deserve God's anger. Like we need help breaking that pattern. I was talking earlier about um, just our daily routines and our morning patterns. Have you ever thought about um, how little you think about how you get to work? You ever done that? Like you just show up at work and you're like, how'd I get here? <laughs> I don't remember that drive at all, right? 
So I go the same way to work every single day, every day. I go down Tyler Street all the way to Front Street and go to the offices over there in downtown, downtown Conway. And one morning on my way to work, I'm just driving, I'm thinking about the day, I'm thinking about everything other than driving, honestly. And all of a sudden there was a sign that said road closed ahead. Conway seems to do that a lot. I don't know what's up with that, right? And so just road closed. And so I, you know, my pattern was just interrupted. I kind of snapped back into like the reality of the situation. I had to find a new way to work because my pattern was interrupted. But turns out what they were doing up ahead is they were putting in what's called a roundabout, right? I love roundabouts. I think roundabouts are fantastic. You should put one at every intersection. That's what I say. Because roundabouts make life so much better, right? They make your path so much quicker. Like I'm not sitting at a stoplight anymore. Now I've got a roundabout where I can just keep on going. And so don't, don't miss the point of the reason I'm randomly talking about roundabouts. Why my old pattern was interrupted. This thing that interrupted my way made my new pattern of life much better today, okay? I was on this old pattern of just constantly going the same way, not really thinking about it. And now this new roundabout gets put in and suddenly my pattern is much, much better in a much more significant way. The good news of the Bible is that Jesus steps in and he's that interrupter. He's that cycle breaker for us, that we are sinners stuck in the pattern of sin, no way of breaking the cycle on our own. So Jesus steps in, interrupts the pattern in the best way possible. Interrupts it. Romans chapter five, verse six. While we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for us. We were just on this old pattern, just stuck in our ways stuck in sin at just the right time. Christ rescues us. He died for the ungodly. And God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Book of Ephesians says that we were dead in our sin. We were helpless. And at just the right time, Christ steps in. The anger of the Lord, the removal from his presence that you and I deserve was absorbed by Jesus on the cross. That's what we deserved. We deserve to be the one hanging on the cross. We deserve death. But he steps in and he takes that for us because he loves us. Because he came to this earth on a rescue mission to save us from this pattern of sin. And so he died in our place, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he came bursting out of the grave alive. And when he did, he offers you and me life and the chance at salvation. If we'll just trust him, that's what the Bible says. If you just believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is God said, you, like you will be saved. And so it's not just a head knowledge of, yeah, okay, I think I believe these facts. It, it's I trust you with my whole life. That all these other little gods that seem to be popping up all over the place, they can't save at all. They can't bring any joy, any provision, any satisfaction, any salvation at all. And you can have a thousand little gods stacked up on all the shelves of your house and it's not gonna do anything for you. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Cultural Christianity doesn't do anything for you, whatever. 
Anything else you put your faith in won't do it for you. Only Jesus. Only trusting in him. Right? And the good news of the gospel is that's offered. Like that's extended to each and every person here in this room and across our world. Whoever would place their faith in Jesus will be saved. And when we do that, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Right? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who have turned to the Lord with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, right? That we are being transformed into the same image that we're looking at of our Father from glory to glory. So, so, so don't miss this, that whatever we worship will make Will, will make us like itself. And that's true for idols, but it's also true for the Lord. That when you place your eyes on him, you become to look like him. And so maybe you find yourself this morning in just this pattern of sin. Can't seem to kick it. Romans chapter three, verse 11 is clear that no one is righteous. On our own, we have no power over sin, none. No program, no discipline, no process alone will fix us. I'm not suggesting that we don't put any kind of effort in on our own, but outside of placing trust in Jesus, nothing will save us. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And Psalm 101 verse three says this. I want, you, I want, you, I want us to declare this this morning. It says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Like, can we just, as a church, like declare that truth this morning, that I'm done looking at worthless idols. Those things will never satisfy. Worthless idols lead to a worthless life. And it's only by seeing the glory of Jesus that we are changed. Not, not instantly. Goodness, don't you wish? Like, it's a process of becoming more and more Christ-like. We are changed by directing our eyes to Him. And it's this new pattern, right? A new pattern of spending time with Him, of learning from Him and worshiping Him. And so my challenge for you this morning is and stay in the Word. Spend time with him daily in prayer. Come together with his bride. Sing songs of adoration to him. And as we do, the veil is lifted from our eyes and we look into his face. And when we do, we are changed. And, and so maybe you find yourself in this pattern of sin this morning. Real easy application for us this morning is direct your worship to God. Behold his glory and be changed. Listen to the warnings. Like be in the word. Let it shape everything about your life. And finally, remember his goodness.
Remember his faithfulness. Remember his love for you. Remember what he's done for you and who he's called you to be. And we will break the pattern of sin and be transformed into the likeness of the Son. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.